As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working Al Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, ex-girlfriend, <laughs> how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. Their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. All right, attention, gamblers of all shapes and sizes. It's that time of year where everybody's getting their gamble on with all the games happening. Well, our friends at Manscaped have a can't-miss bet for you today. They're the leaders in male grooming. They've just launched their fourth-generation performance package. The betting odds are in your favor, guys. When you use the Lawnmower 4.0 on your junk, across the board, this is the package to get you in the mood for whatever your gambling heart desires. Are you ready to take the leap to male grooming royalty? Two million men already have. Join the Manscaped movement by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code JED. That's J-E-D for 20% off plus free shipping. Now, the Performance Package 4.0 by our great friends at Manscaped is the ultimate parlay 
to take your grooming game to the next level. Now, hitting a favorite is fun, but shaving your junk with confidence, that's the bomb. The folks at Manscaped have given me just that, and they have my trust when trimming my junk. They recently released the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, and it's a favorite of mine. You got to get it, guys. Go to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping by simply using the promo code JED. That's J-E-D for 20% off plus free shipping. Go to manscaped.com today. Your boys will thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racers. Yeah, we do. Yes, right, we do. Big Jed, we did not have an episode for the listeners last week. We're sorry. Oh, look, I appreciate that. We're not sorry. Whose fault is that? We, we had a busy week, Big Jed. It was my fault. We, uh, it sounds like we both had a busy week. Like, again, sorry, not sorry. Like, we're doing our best here, right? <laughs> yeah, I failed. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I ran through this off air, like uh, my week included uh, 100,000 plus steps and like 300 flights of stairs. I put on a race. And <laughs> get off me. If you were at the Summer Door Car Shooter, I bet you had more fun than you had listening to this podcast. <laughs> no doubt about it. I hope you did anyway. My goodness. Um, with that said, we got two weeks worth of action to catch up on. If you've punched through, you've probably realized we, we've run a little bit long. We have a tendency to do that, but we had a lot to cover, Big Jed. I think the highlights, um, Nick Hastings doesn't suck. No. Jeff Sarah. Boy, if Nick Hastings doesn't suck, what do we say about Jeff Sarah? Jeff Sarah. Pretty good. I, yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. good. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Um, in addition to that, Nick Hastings doesn't suck. Jeff Sarah's pretty good. And Dan Fletcher might be the best of all time. I think that's where we're going. And that and the reports of the demise of SFG may have been slightly exaggerated. So we go there as well. Um, They're back, baby. They're back, baby. Uh, What else we got? Like, it's pretty pretty solid show long show we we deep dive a little bit some NHRA point stuff I nerd out a little bit there towards the end um yeah that's uh that pretty much covers it look there's a there's definitely a wide variety of racing results to discuss and uh, potential point chases and yeah the 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 bracket finals winners go into Vegas to represent their division a little bit of everything in this show and uh you you're it's going to be long, but if you love sportsman drag racing talk, this is the episode for you. Number 245 is your jam. But first, PJ North. Big Jed, it has been over a week since we last touched base to talk sportsman drag racing. And I have a feeling that we're going to pick up right where we left off. Yeah, it's, it's the same show. It's the same show every time we do it. I mean, it, it's really, we, we name these same winners every time. And quite frankly, 
I'm sick of these guys. I think I <laughs> said it before, but I'm, I'm really sick of them. It's definitely a little bit of same song, different verse feel to this show. I think it was on our last show, Jed, you were saying like, it's not debatable. It is not an argument. When we do our show in November, December, and we crown a driver of the year, it's going to be Jeff Sarah. And I was ah, not so fast, my friend. Like I could, I could make an argument for Pete Dagnolo. I could make an argument for Nick Hastings. Let's fast forward 10 days. In that time, Nick Hastings was the runner up in a $100,000 to win race. And I'm with you. I can no longer make an argument for Nick Hastings. Jeff Sarris, the driver of the year. Yeah, I mean, the guy's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's, I know I, I've run out of things to say or, or, or words to describe his performances, but it's truly unbelievable, Luke. $175,000 winner once again. Yeah. If, if you've been living under a rock, Jeff Sarah did it again. I think it was a Friday night at Darlington at uh, SFG's Super Bowl of bracket racing. Jeff Sarah emerges victorious from the main event in spectacular fashion. I think as we've become used to as well, obviously uh, Jeff throughout the day, wrecking the tree, driving the lights out of the finish line. Um, I think the, the, the key round, uh, he ran McKenna Brown with uh, maybe 13 cars left in the main event, and McKenna's eight total. Jeff Sarah was like five take one. And oh, by the way, um, thought he was holding like a lot, and the rear end started chunking going down the racetrack. Like it had been making noise, but now it was broke. So he's feeling that. Like, I don't know what I'm holding at this point, but I know I hit the tree. I'm just going to try to get there by a little bit. That worked. Couldn't have come at a better time because that earns him the buy run at seven cars when he's able to swap cars per SFG rules. So his first run in a, a relatively unfamiliar car, I think it was a car that he hadn't raced that day, uh, the other withrow car that he, that he drives regularly, basically gets a time trial on the buy run at seven, proceeds through the last two rounds and wins yet another huge payday. $175,000 to win main event. I'm out of superlatives, Jed. I, 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 I feel like I've sung Jeff's praises to the point. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, no, I, nor do I. And, um, you know, that's, that's hard for me because I, I like to talk about stuff, but, um, there's nothing else you can say, Luke, he's driver of the year. Um, and possibly when it's all said and done at the end of 2029, when we're doing episode, God knows how many, uh, he's probably going to be driver of the decade. I mean, this guy's ridiculously talented, makes all the right moves. Uh, even his bad decisions are good. And he just continues to show up big on the big stage. And I don't know, at this point, I really just would have straight up fear if he was in the other lane. Because I just, I wouldn't be sure what you have to do to beat him. And, you know, poor McKenna Brown lays down eight total man's blowing his crap up halfway <laughs> down the racetrack and still takes a thou and his five on the tree and wins. I mean, what you got to do to beat the guy? Let's, I mean, let's just quickly, I, we, we went over this, uh, on our last episode, but just to recap Jeff Sarah's last month, right? So he kicks off, uh, or, or closes out the month of August, right? With, the spring fling $100,000 win and runner up runs himself in the final of the main event at the fling uh, follows that up with a $20,000 victory. Oh, by the way, 20 grander, like no biggie uh, at Norwalk the week, the week following 
and now this, right? $175,000 to win main event. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, Jed. And I know I've said things like this before, and it's and and at times they're hyperbolic statements, but I don't I'm not sure that we've ever seen anything like this. Like we had the the consistent domination, if you will, that Hunter Patton had on display uh, in 2020, right? And as impressive as that was, and as as monumental as it was, and as profitable as it was, just from a sheer cash earning standpoint, it pales in comparison to what Jeff Sarah's put together. Certainly, if you extend it the last calendar year, because you get to include the guaranteed million. But even this year, I mean, it's just in three weeks, he's run himself in a final of 100 grand or 175 grand. Or like you combine the consistency of what Hunter was able to do a year ago and how amazing that run was with the big stage performances like the when the lights shine bright when the stakes get bigger there's uh, throughout like my racing career the guy that you wanted in that situation is gary williams like big stage performer maybe gary throughout the course of his career like really has lacked that consistency like i don't remember there was one season like 2011 where gary kind of ran roughshod over the whole country like basically season long, but by and large, he's been one that's kind of more like rises to the occasion and falls to the occasion, right? Like it's rare that you would see him just consistently dominate in a manner like, you know, Underwood in years past or, um, or, or Hunter last year, what Sarah's done this year. And when you combine the two, like obviously Jeff Sarah's good is ridiculously good. And, and, and this is not an off the radar thing, what he's been able to do this year. Like Jeff has been, the racers in the know certainly like he may not have been as prominent of name up to like five years ago but you could always tell that the skill level that the talent was there right maybe not necessarily to predict a run like this but he's got every tool in the bag right and has for a long time um yeah but to be and, and that winning on the big stage and that that performance under pressure like admittedly i think a lot of that is at times happenstance like that I, I don't know that that winning close races is necessarily a skill right but i i go back to like the old you remember scott hamilton the the figure skater like oh, yeah he had a he had a quote after winning the gold medal because you think like pressure performances i don't think anything really compares to say like a, a figure skater or a gymnast at the olympic games i mean they literally pour 20 hours a day uh for four years into this pursuit and it's one thing that one performance that's going to last like a minute i mean there's no pressure that that can compare to that i don't think right probably not and scott hamilton's quote was you know under pressure i think you you, you obviously have to have the tools in place to perform like if, if you don't have that that practice that repetition in like you have no chance but when the lights come on and the pressure gets large there's like a 15 percent variance like you're, you, you've got your solid performance and you could rise or fall 15% from that. Right. And that, at that level, that's the difference, right? It's, it's the ones that can, that can rise up just that incremental amount. Mm -hmm. And perhaps when Jeff Sarah gets the late rounds in these big races, perhaps he just doesn't fall off and everyone else does. Right. Maybe, but I think it's become apparent that when the lights are the brightest and when the stakes are the biggest, Jeff's at his best. 
And that's a hell of a combination, right? Uh, if there's a if there's a comparison, like if 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 to say that we've never seen this before is hyperbole, like to me, the only comparison that gets close is Kenny Underwood's season in 2018, because it seemed like he won every other weekend for six months and won the million, like won a 50 grander. You know what I mean? Like his wins were on the same uh, of a similar magnitude and scale um but again like i think if you add them all together like i don't know i don't know that we've seen anything like this at this level well you know you you say avoid being prisoner of the moment and you really can't help but be i mean i remember talking about kenny's run in 18 and and being the best that I'd ever seen and probably the best I ever would see. And then here we are just a couple of years later and talking about an incredible run that, and, and we talked about it with Nick Hastings uh, last year and certainly into this year. And now you got Jeff Sarah doing something. Obviously Hunt, uh, Hunter Patton did what he did. So then that became the best ever. And it just, it's like, it seems to continue that we're seeing the best performances we've ever seen. And these big money races just year after year, they, they keep getting trumped. But I just couldn't imagine like, anyone having a better 12-month run than what Jeff Sarah is having. And I'm not sure that there's going to be opportunities for that. Uh, you know, the, the big money races are doing okay. They're doing good. But I'm not sure that they will that we'll see growth in that market in 2022 if anything it will be flat to down so i'm not sure there will be many opportunities to have a run like he's having but it's truly incredible uh jeff is my he's the, my webmaster for worldfootbreakchallenge.com and you know um not picking at him but Sometimes it takes me days, maybe even weeks to say, hey, man, did you, did you get this changed? You get that done? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get right on it. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard. Well, hell, I guess so. I mean, I, I may not ever get anything done with the website again. You don't think the few hundred dollars that you're paying them is moving the needle all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah I don't. <laughs> I don't think my yearly fee is 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 really anything he gives a crap about. Uh, I mean, this guy. This guy is winning, Luke, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the racetrack. And obviously, you talked about it, driving with Rose stuff. You know, he's, uh, he's, he partners with people. He, he obviously won in um, Richard Duke's uh, uh, Chevy 2 in the, the Great American Million. So I would like to get this out here right now. Um, Jeff, if you're listening. I will buy whatever you want. You pick the dragster out. You tell me what engine, transmission, combo you want. I'll buy anybody's tires, anybody's carburetor. I want to build you a brand new dragster. Just absolutely state of the art. And just let me know where you need it delivered. And then we'll start talking about what races you're going to. So I needed to get that out there. So it, Jeff, I'm sure he listens to the show regular, so I wanted him to hear that from me personally on the show. And just let me know what you want, bud. I'll get it headed your way. We'll 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 develop a partnership here. I did for your sake. 
I hope that Jeff Sarah is a regular listener. I also hope that Steve Withrow is not. <laughs> See I'm how that works, Steve. But I, I just I need to I need to get it. I need to get on that train, bro. <laughs> Steve understands. <laughs> Steve understands better than anyone, believe me. So <laughs> yes, he does. you had mentioned this this crazy run. And if we take it back a calendar year, like just just to put this all in a little bit of perspective, obviously, if we go back a calendar year, we get to include the main event win at the Great American Guaranteed Million, which if you listen to us talk about that event or you listen to Jeff talk about that event here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, you know how bizarre and how um, unlikely that victory on that day was. And and obviously a lot of things fell into place, but as I've said several times, the first thing that had to happen was someone with the skill set of Jeff Sarah behind the wheel. And that's a really, really rare skill set, right? That that was the first the first thing that had to come into come into view there. So he wins that race, the Great American Guaranteed Million last uh, that October. Goes to the Florida Winter Series, kind of runs rough shot over it. Uh, I believe it was a couple of wins at Immokalee and maybe a runner-up at West Palm, or maybe I've got that flip, but I believe he was in three finals down there. This year started off a little bit slower, but then uh, by summer, hits his stride, wins a $20,000 main event at Virginia. I may even be missing a couple other smaller wins there earlier in the year. And then he gets on this run in the midsummer months that includes a $75,000 win, once again at Virginia, uh, the main event of the Triple Threat Series. Uh, it followed up within like a week's time with back-to-back runner-ups at the Loose Rocker Race at Galat. I think they were both 40-granders. And it was basically like three events in a row. Wins a 75-grander, runners up 40, runners up 40. And now these last, what, this last month that we just talked about with the, the runner self in the final of 100-grander, win a 20, and now win this 175. Like, just to put that into perspective, okay, so if you take that last calendar year, obviously, if you just look at advertised purses, he's eclipsed a million dollars. Like he did that in October, right? Um, and, and actually, like advertised purses, you add all those up, like it's closer to 1.5 million in the last year. 1.5 million dollars, yet. Oh my gosh. Now, if you take a step back and say, like, real cash money, like after splits, what has what have racetracks written checks to Jeff Sarah for in the last calendar year? I'm not sure that it's not close to three quarters of a million dollars, like real money, 750 grand racing, driving a sportsman race car over the course of the last year. I mean, it might be a little bit south of that, but it ain't much. <laughs> yeah, it's got it scared to death if it's, if it's not exactly that number. If we're going to put this into perspective, like it was not long ago, uh, admittedly a little bit different era of big dollar bracket racing, but like, I thought it was a big deal. I made it an advertising point of this is bracketracing.com when I eclipsed $1 million in career earnings. And it took me over a decade to do that, Jed. And I thought I did pretty good. Yeah. I'd say you did real, real well. Just who's done that in 12 months. It's just. When you take a step back from it, forget, I mean, yes, the opportunity is there almost week in and week out to race for these ridiculous purses. But uh, I mean, by and large across the landscape, if you win one, like it's a life-changing thing and it's typically a once in a lifetime thing. And Jeff does it like monthly. (laughs) 
it's insane. And, and there's something to be said, like, I think Hunter, Hunter Patton would, would nod his head at this. I'm sure Kenny Underwood would. And, and if we go back over the, the, the last decade, you know, I mean, Wes May had a year where he was just unbeatable. Uh, Hastings has probably sustained it better than anyone, you know, over the course of the last five years, but there's something to be said for momentum, right? Like, um, this is a time, and we say this week in and week out, it should be more difficult than ever to win and to dominate. And I think by and large, it is like packages are tighter, equipment's better. I think racers are better than we were, you know, 10, 20 years ago across the board. I, I think everyone would agree with that. So you sure. would think there is no, there's not opportunity for someone to come out and do what Jeff Sarah is doing, what Hunter Patton did a year ago, what Kenny Underwood did in 2018. And yet repeatedly year over year, someone seems to stand out and seems to just kind of run over this thing. And it's pretty incredible because I do think at the top, I mean, there is obviously a, a, a if you call it a 1% that, that separates themselves, but among that 1%, like you've got dozens of amazingly talented racers. One should not necessarily stand out. And yet year over year, one typically does. And in my mind, you can attribute that to momentum. And I think that momentum, probably in anything, particularly in our sport, is a huge catalyst. And I think it works in two ways, maybe, maybe more than two ways. But specifically, we think of it in terms of, okay, well, opponents probably raced Hunter Patton a year ago differently, right? And they raced Jeff Sarah differently now. And there's an aspect of, I don't know if you necessarily feel beat when you get paired up with Jeff Sarah. It's, I think the majority of racers get the feeling that I now need to do something beyond what I typically do. And I think when we fall into that line of thinking, it's typically a mistake. So I think it's natural when you get on a, on a heater like that, that your opponents try to push, right? And more often than not, that doesn't work out well. But I think that momentum also plays a positive aspect on the other end of it, because I, I having, having lived this to some extent, right? What Jeff Sarah is feeling right now every time that he stages, the wind light comes on, right? And you get used to that and you get accustomed to that and you, you, there is a feeling like, okay, I can't be stopped. And I think that as that snowballs, I, I think that Jeff Sarah probably makes more unbeatable runs than t is typical simply because that confidence swells, that momentum swells, and it, and it just it snowballs positively in both directions. I think it makes him better. I think it tends to make his opponents worse. And when you put that together, and, and when you get rolling like this, like the thousands just tend to fall into place, and that seems to be where he's at. And I don't know if that's a great explanation as to why we see this like one standout performance year over year, but I, it does. I, winning breeds winning. And I just, and I think it, I'll, there's a, there's a, an aspect of it that works that way. I would agree with that wholeheartedly, Luke. I, you know, winning does breed winning and, you know, the, the data, the laps, the, the runs, he's, you know, he's making more runs than anybody. He's got two shots at all of these two cars, whether it's the same car twice or two different cars. So, you know, Jeff can tell you at this facility, when it goes from daylight to dark, you know, I have to pull 5,000 or I've got to pull 9,000. Um, at this facility, it's maybe not as much. Maybe this facility, it's well lit, and I have to add three thousand. He can tell you all that, so he's he's got the data and the history at these tracks because he's making so many runs 
that, you know, he, he probably wins some crucial rounds where there's a change that every driver can adapt to. There might be a weather change that he is very familiar with how his stuff reacts to versus everyone else. And, and they're guessing a little bit. So I just really believe there's a lot of variables there that, that Jeff has covered because of making so many runs and having uh, two opportunities at every one of these big events. And you know, is that the, the sole reason that he's performing so well? Absolutely not. Uh, talent is the sole reason. But uh, and equipment, of course, great equipment. But uh, I, I believe that he's he's got, you know, some advantage because of his data and his history. And and, you know, he he truly believes when he makes a change to the box, something that we you know, we get a little nervous about, you know, if, if you're talking more than two or three thousand in the box, when you're changing that up or down those things tend to, to weigh on your mind a little bit. But I believe when he makes those changes four, five, six, seven, eight thou, you know, he's very confident in it and it doesn't cloud his routine or his ability to go up there and perform consistently. And when you take all that into effect, it's a game of thousands and his thousands are just more consistent than most others. And it's obviously paying off big time for him. So uh, I think everything you said was spot on. And then when you add, you know, the, the stuff that I talk about and, and other things that we haven't talked about, just all of it adds up to him being just a few thou better than everybody else. He's, you know, obviously had some luck on his side when he needed it, but for the most part, his average run is just darn good. And it's a little bit better than everybody else's right now. It, it certainly has been a little bit better than everybody else's uh, other winners from Darlington. Cause this was, this race was monumental. Obviously Jeff Sarah wins the main event, uh, but that $175,000 to win race was, uh, was surrounded by not one, not two, but three, $100,000 to win main events. Uh, the winners in those, how about Sean Sarah, not to be outdone by big brother. Uh, Sean Sarah comes back a day later, wins a hundred grander in the aforementioned uh, Duke mobile. The, uh, the Duke Chevy 2 that, uh, that Jeff Sarah drove to Great American Million Dollar Race victory a year ago. Uh, other $100,000 wins went to Jerry Brewer and Champ, Champ out of retirement to win the last 100 grander of the weekend. Uh, Champ got that win over Nick Hastings. Yeah, that was a, a big wrap up for the, uh, for the event. That 100 grander had a couple of all stars in Champ and Nick Hastings in the final. And, you know, here's Nick again. Uh, again, if, if it wasn't for Jeff, Sarah, Nick is the guy you're talking about consistently, whether he gets the win or not, you know, he's just performing so well, Luke and, and ending up, you know, in the late rounds in these big events and, um, almost like quietly, just very quiet. Oh, um, I won 10 or three, 10 granders this weekend. Oh yeah. Another $75,000 final it run it up a hundred grander, you know, just, just going about his business. Yeah. Very quietly. Um, you know, I mean, he does, he's, he's a humble young man, as I've said many times, and he just turns on wind lights, just consistently doing it. And another phenomenal year for him. And, you know, the other winners, obviously a uh, big deal, Jerry Brewer and, and um champ i mean what how about champ that's uh that's pretty cool uh, the guy hasn't i don't know how much he's raced he, we'd say retirement i know that's tongue-in-cheek so to speak but uh he hasn't raced much 
and sure. uh, comes out on a really big stage and gets a win over one of the best that'll ever do it in that final round. So really cool to see champ back out doing his thing and, uh, you know, getting a win for Oki. That's, uh, Oki been kind of quiet on the, the big buck scene as well. He, he hadn't gotten out a whole lot. So, um, good to see, uh, good to see champ and, and Oki teaming up and getting them a win light. And I saw the, the video that Mitch did to, to celebrate the final round and uh, talked about blown up engines and broken this and torn up that. And he said they needed that. They needed that win just to get out of there and, and make a few bucks. So glad it worked out for him. But Luke, you, you talked about it when you spoke of the SFG event, this thing was 300 granders and a, and 175 grander as the, the cherry on top. I mean, that is huge. And this race didn't really get by me. I mean, I knew it was coming, the Super Bowl of Bracket Racing. Uh, that's their, that's their uh, name for this event, and it's been successful for them for a few years now. But I don't know that this got the attention that it should have gotten for how big it was. I mean, well, 300 granders and a 175 is massive. No doubt. And maybe that's because they were – split into four big events, right? If that's one half million dollar race, that's get, that's the attention getter, right? That's that's yeah. not the way that they want to do this. They wanted to spread it around a little bit. And I mean let's 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 bring up the elephant in the room, Jed. Like uh, you heard the rumblings just like I did uh, after uh, an unsuccessful event in Bradenton after um, they canceled the event and the the half million dollar race in Martin, Michigan, like the rumblings were out there that, Hey, SFG is dying. F SFG is dead. SFG won't host another race. Right. And we didn't necessarily buy into that. Like we, we had discussed that, like you got to know where Kyle Riley came from and, and, and what he's done for the sport. And, and he's, he's not going to go down quietly. Right. And I just think it's, I wasn't at Darlington. I watched it from afar. I talked to a number of people that were there just to make sure that I wasn't speaking out of turn here. I do think it's time to give some credit where credit is due. Like I have been a, a, a relatively uh, vocal about, like I don't particularly care for the, the typical SFG structure just as a racer, right? But I think it's fair to say, and we've said before, what Kyle has done, I think by and large is good for our sport, right? And there were all these rumblings that SFG is in financial trouble, like this, this race won't happen, da-da-da-da-da. This race happened, okay? And the SFG team just paid out well over half a million dollars over four races. They did everything that they would say they'd do. They fought some inclement weather. They got everything in that was on the flyer, paid out every dime. Everyone that I talked to said the race was run as well as it could be run. And if you go back and like do the math, I think they, they profited on this race, but like, it wasn't an out of the park home run. It was like 400 cars. Like it wasn't a, okay, this, this makes up for what we lost at Bradenton and, and everything else. Like, I don't, I don't think this was a, okay, let's put six figures in our pocket type of thing. And yet they went out there and did everything they said they were going to do. Uh, like, I think it's a statement from SFG that like, Hey, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, like what, what we're doing works and we're here to stay. And I think that's, that's fair to, to be the takeaway from this. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Luke. Um, and, you know, you say that they paid out 
over 500k there's no doubt they did that the winners alone when you consider the yeah i mean the uh, winners 20, are 475 grand yeah it's, yeah. yeah the twenty thousand dollar warm-up so you're, you're talking 495 yeah uh, and it's likely that that per, complete purse was double that so this thing paid out nearly a million dollars and if it wasn't a million it it had to be enough that it scared a million so give credit where credit's due as you said uh, those guys uh, did everything they said they would do they call it the super bowl of bracket racing that is a massive purse and for it to get paid as advertised um, with a great car count don't get me wrong that was a great car count but those guys have kind of built themselves around 500 plus entry events and i didn't know where it landed but when you said 400 that's probably uh, again not home run for any by any stretch of the imagination but it's it was good for them i imagine they come out of there with uh, with more than they arrived with so that's a good thing for sfg uh, great event i heard um a lot of people really saying or praising them for battling some challenges that they had uh, weather interrupted them early on the first hundred grander and they got everything complete and got it all done got it all paid so you have to give those guys a lot of credit for for what they pulled off there in darlington especially in a market that luke is not overperforming by any means uh big money bracket races are not blowing it out like it did in 2020 and um you know, will that have an effect on them next year? We'll see, but definitely it's a, it's a market that um, is going to probably change for, I mean, just to be as vague as I can be, I think it's going to change a lot in 2022. So those guys pulled off something pretty special for 2021, considering what's happened so far in the big money bracket racing scene. A little bit more perspective. So Kyle Riley just paid out a nearly million dollar purse without batting an eye. Meanwhile, um, at the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout, me and Donnie Ellis, we, we paid out probably a little south of a hundred grand. I didn't sleep for a week. Um, <laughs> Jake Summer Door Car Shootout, uh, 10th annual in the books. I won't waste too much. I won't spend too much time on this big jet because it's, it's quite frankly, not a race that we would typically just spend much time discussing if it wasn't my race. Uh, but just broadly, uh, it was really successful. It was fun to, uh, to get back to I-57 drag strip. We had our biggest car count in, uh, not only in the history of the summer door shootout, but in the history of the facility, uh, we had our biggest spectator count in the history of the facility, which is just part of the cool thing about the Jake summer door car shootout is we got, thousands of fans and, and full transparency. We had about 1500 fans. We were at a facility that makes 1500 look like 10,000. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Absolutely packed. Um, and, packed. Yes. Uh, fans hanging over the fences, like uh, really cool atmosphere specifically for Saturday night, uh, Saturday night's main event, our, our King of Illinois shootout, uh, which is something that we do every year. It's a $500 entry bonus race, 100% um, payback. And we advertise it as winner take all. Obviously, it gets cut up. But uh, in the past, that race, depending on the year, like sometimes it's paid 10 grand, sometimes it's paid 17. There was one year that I think it paid 26. And I thought, wow, I don't know if we'll ever eclipse that. 
Jed, we had 79 racers enter that race. So you do the quick math, that's 39.5. Donnie and I decided that 40 grand sounds way cooler than 39.5. So we stuck another 500 bucks on the purse and uh, we raced for 40 grand Saturday night at the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. By far the largest purse in the history of the facility. Uh, it was it was cool. The, like I say, the Saturday night scene was amazing. The wheelie contest, our annual wheelie contest was epic. It's actually the first time in like five years that Lucas Walker was not able to defend his crown. Um, both finalists, it, it was Lucas and, uh, and Derek Pearson, both finalists made a, an iffy run and both demanded to try again. So we did two wheelies. The last time we did two wheelies, it that did not end well. I think you were there for that one. And this for one, Lucas for sure. <laughs> yeah, did, yeah. This one ended much better. Both cars uh, went past 330 on the bumper. Um, both cars came down relatively violently. There was there was one tire on the ground for each of them at at, at times, <laughs> but nothing bad happened. <laughs> and today put on a hell of a show. Um, the the facility updates uh, that what Donnie has put into that that facility amazing. Our staff was incredible. Like it just it could not have been a better three days. So um, shout out to everybody that was there. I, I I think everybody had a blast. That's certainly the feedback that I'm getting. But uh, hopefully that is the case for sure. We had a lot of fun putting it on. Our winners briefly, Jed, just to uh, to throw some shine on them. John D Piazza who had uh, runnered up in our Jag Summer Dark Car Shootout before, but had not won one. He was our Friday $10,000 winner over Cody Graham. Kevin Pryor got the win on Saturday over Joe Davis, who was, uh, who was one on the big stage at, uh, at I-57 Drag Strip on many occasions, including uh, what was previously, I think, our, our richest event. He won a 25 grander at, at one of our other races a few years ago. Uh, so Kevin Pryor over Joe Davis. The last 10 grander was uh, Doug Herman getting the win over Corey Wood. That $40,000 King of Illinois shootout, uh, epic main event, uh, was won by Chris Woolley, got the win over Colin Estes. And then uh, our, our annual Quick 16 was won by a truck. S10 truck of Jeff Mitchell was actually the number 16 qualifier at like 526 or something like that. He ended up getting the win over last year's, one of last year's main event winners, Kevin Reed in the final. So good times at, uh, at old I-57 drag strip. Yeah, Luke, it's a really special race. Obviously, I've, I've gotten to be a part of it for quite a few years, and uh, I hated to miss this one, but uh, you do a phenomenal job of the organization of the event and uh, the little special things that you do for your round prizes where you, you take all the, the people that lost certain rounds and you, they're all eligible to win something. You give away so much stuff from so many sponsors and, and manufacturers, which is really cool. You, you know, you just about almost guarantee everybody that attends your event comes away with something, whether they win a few bucks or a prize or something. So uh, it's a great event. It's a really cool place. I can't wait to get back up there someday soon and see what Donnie's done with the place. Uh, the, the updates that was done the last time it was upgraded were incredible. It's a great working racetrack. It's nice and wide and smooth. And now he's got everything around it uh, to match it nice, wide and smooth and just really nice concession area and tower. So, um, you know, you guys really created something special up there and, and you should be very proud of what you pulled off and $40,000 uh, won by Chris Woolley there. That's 
really cool and you've had burnout contests and wheelie contests and cool car awards and so many things that you do um it's hard to find a better event you you'll find events that pay more but it's hard to find a better event than what you put on there and i know i'm blowing smoke up your skirt but i truly feel that way it is a is an extra special event and y'all have done a phenomenal job with it and quickly to wrap things up about your event you shared with us off air if you had an mvp uh yes award who would that have gone to jeremy bowsman uh so jeremy bowsman made the trip down from iowa with his no box s10 if that name sounds familiar Jeremy Bowsman was the winner of the $100,000 to win main event at the Firecracker Nationals at Byron in 2019, I believe, off the bottom, right? And, sounds and the, right, right? Yeah, when the way that they do it there, it's, it's bottom bulb separate and there's a lot of bottom bulb cars, but he, Bowsman not only went through a very talented uh, no box field, then still had to win at least two or three rounds against box cars, had no trouble with that hundred thousand dollars richer he rolls into i-57 drag strip and runs roughshod over our no box crowd we actually had a a, a pretty solid no box turnout like uh, between 18 and 20 cars each day i believe and bowsman not only uh went through the no box field um and advanced into the main event on both friday and saturday um in friday's event i think the round that he got thrown in was the latter round of seven and he lost there on saturday's event he advanced to the semis of the main event and then uh he actually came up just uh two rounds short of uh sweeping the no box side of the field he lost in the semifinal and no box on sunday and that would be impressive enough in itself but the manner in which he went about it i mean i got to see all the runs from the tower and it's not like he was superhuman but for stretches Jeremy Bowsman was superhuman. He was, I think it was five, maybe six consecutive rounds, I think, on Friday night where he let go double O off the bottom. And yeah, that got everybody's attention. So really, really impressive performance from Bowsman. To your point, Jed, facility upgrades. We got indoor plumbing, dog. We had a, a real women's bathroom. <laughs> if you've ever uh, been to I 57 Drag Strip, you know that is a huge improvement. And that's a, that's a big deal. Over. Yes. That, that was obviously priority number one. I would say that next time that any of you listening come back to I 57 Drag Strip, you'll probably have two working bathrooms, like one for the guys and the girls. We felt a little bit left out uh, over the weekend, Jed. But yeah, um, Donnie has poured a ton into that place. You mentioned the burnout contest. Obviously, I could, I could talk about the Jake Summer Door Push shootout for hours. Um, this year's the winning burnout this year, it was Josh Harper. And, uh, I think it's my favorite burnout to date. Actually, we had two, if you know, as well as I do, Jed, one of my year after year, Charlie Hammer goes for it, right? Yes. Charlie Hammer has a four second Oldsmobile Cutlass and he is not shy about the burnout. So we have a, we have a qualifying round for the burnout contest that's in round two. Why do we do it in round two, big Jed? Because anybody can do it when there's a buyback, Luke. That's it right. takes I've, a man to do it when there's not a buyback. I amended the statement for this year. I said, why do we do it in round two? Because any sissy can do a burnout in time trials. <laughs> you got to back up for it, stage up for 10 grand. Charlie Hama in round two went past the 330 under power oh, in a four-second cutlass. Oh, it was it was. I, well, I've done it before. I'll say it again. It was badass, Jed. I can say that on the podcast, right? <laughs> I loved it. So then I walked down to Charlie's trailer because he's parked right by the tower. And I said, Chuck, 
I said, obviously that burnout qualifies. Would you like to compete in the burnout contest tonight in front of the fans? And it was without hesitation. No, no, I would not. Okay. I can respect that, Charlie. You know, like man knows his limitations. So we go to plan B. Well, there was a second obvious qualifier. That was Josh Harper. Bob Gaston ends up getting in as the, uh, as his opponent, Josh Harper's burnout under the lights in front of the fans about 11 o'clock Saturday night. I think to date is my favorite burnout indoor car race history. Josh Harper was driving a, like a, a small tired Mustang. That's obviously got way too much power for the tire. And he could have had a blowout, like with the line lock engaged. He held it there for a while and then proceeded to release the line lock and drove, I think close to the mile an hour clocks before it hooked up. Oh, <laughs> it was really impressive. <laughs> there was, like he actually went out first. And I've said before, like the key to winning a burnout contest is winning the coin flip because you just have to go second, right? Like you just have to see what the bar is and do something stupider, right? <laughs> Bob Gaston pulled up in the water and it was like, I, I can't do anything with that, right? <laughs> There's that, no. So yeah, Josh Harper's your winner. It was, uh, it was incredible. And to your point, Jed, um, you were missed. Uh, and several people asking about you. I said, uh, I said, well, Jed doesn't, doesn't, doesn't announce anymore. His show doesn't get on the whole road, a whole lot racing. And as an announcer, he is officially retired. He's out. And, um, I had about three different people when I said that look at me without hesitation and go, well, can we get JJ? I'm like, well, you know, he's not too far from being able to like drive up here on his own. Maybe that's a possibility. So. Well, I can always come race and just let him do some announcing. There you go. <laughs> Maybe it'll work out. In the We're going to work on that for the years to come. <laughs> he would love it for sure. Uh, so, yeah, good times. All right. Um, <clears throat> ET finals. It was a big weekend for the ET finals. We discussed on last episode that uh, <clears throat> our friends up in the great Northwest in D6 kicked off the ET final party. Uh, this past weekend, three other divisions joined them. We had ET finals in division three, division four and division five. So several tickets punched to Vegas, big Jed. Yeah, Luke, uh, obviously this is a big deal for sportsmen bracket racers that, that try to qualify and they're definitely, um, looking for the, the big opportunity to go to the, the world finals in Vegas and certainly on the IHRA side in Memphis. But, uh, you know, these racers fight all year long for this opportunity. So kudos to these guys that, that we're about to mention that, that got it done and getting their opportunity to go represent their division in the, the finals in Vegas. Um, D3 and Super Pro is Wes Buckley. Uh, the race of champions winner was uh, Justin Hardy in pro. It was Doug Honstead race of champions winner was my good buddy, Brian Hendrickson. Great to see that in uh, sportsman. And, and as I mentioned, the category and the winner, these are the people that are representing their division. And then the race of champions winners just deserve to be mentioned uh, in sportsman. The main event winner was Cody Balcom race of champions winner was Joe Tillman. And in the bike category, the main event winner was Gareth Shepard with the race of champions win going to Wesley Wales. That is the division three winners. And those first ones mentioned in each category will be going to Vegas, uh, assuming they are able to make the trip. And if not, I'm not sure how the, 
how the system works if it goes to the runner-up or if it goes to the race of champions winner. But nonetheless, most of the time they make it. Yeah, division- I think that actually varies by division. A couple of notes from Division Three: Wes Buckley's win in the main event in Super Pro. I think Buckley is best known for his prowess off the bottom. He's one yes. of those very talented Norwalk um, bottom ball racers. Obviously, putting the box in, getting it done in Super Pro. I assume he's put the box in. He's done it in Super Pro anyway. And Wes actually joins uh, his father. Tim, Tim had uh, had won the division championship, made the trip out to Pomona uh, five years ago, somewhere in that range. So pretty cool. Uh, father, son, I know that uh, Larry and Todd Piper have done that. Uh, Jerry and Jeff Heffler have done that. Might be one or two others, but uh, that's a pretty unique feat. Father, son, both getting the opportunity to make that trek out west to compete for the Summit World Championship. And to your earlier point, Jed, I believe you are correct, obviously, uh, it, change, it it is up to each division in division three it is the main event winners that punch that ticket to vegas uh in the motorcycle class i believe that division three had drawn the wild card so in motorcycle both gareth shepherd who won the main event and wesley wells who won the race champions will both be headed to vegas to represent division three. Oh, okay that's why they're highlighted i should have uh, i should have figured that out but uh, glad you mentioned that luke so that's really good for those winners in division three which is a, a very difficult division for uh, sportsman racers uh, division four down in the southwest part of the country super pro main event winner was nicholas smith and the race of champions winner was our good friend bart nelson Good to see Mr. Nelson getting that race of champions win in the pro category. Uh, that main event was won by Jeff Rydell, and Jeff beat uh, Drew Porsche, another very tough bottom bulb racer. A couple of guys that's done a lot of racing with us at Colberg Racing Promotion. So good to see that final round, and congratulations to Jeff for getting that done. Race of champions winner uh, was Benny Gossett. Benny's raced with us as well. This guy's been around a long time, been doing it successfully for a long time. So congratulations to Benny. Looks like Benny gets to go as a wild card as well to I think Vegas. That's probably like I don't I'm I'm 99% sure that Benny has never got to punch that ticket. And in a illustrious bottom bulb career, that's one of the few things that he hasn't done. So yeah, really excited for Benny to see him uh, get the opportunity to uh, to go out there to Vegas. I know that he is no stranger to the windshield. So the thought of driving to Vegas, not intimidating at all for Benny Gossett. Um, would be cool to, uh, to see him showcase his skills on that stage. Yeah, very good point, Luke. And uh, in the sportsman category, I'm not sure that we have that uh, winner correct uh, unless um, – this guy's just really that darn good. Uh, so we might want to research that one. If It uh, would be pretty impressive if our notes are correct, if Cody Balkum won the sportsman <laughs> yes. category at uh, Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis, <laughs> in addition to the sportsman category at the Texas Motorplex <laughs> within 24 hours. Like that would be something. Yes, no doubt about it. Uh, I see Mark's probably going to make a correction there. But uh, in the bike category, uh, David Ball got the win. He'll be headed to Vegas, and the race of champions was also won by him. So David Ball with a clean sweep there in the bike category, which is a really cool accomplishment. No doubt. Um, and then uh, – hey, wait a second. Wait a second. Do we just have a Division Four ET finals and there's not a Heffler winner? Oh, you know what? There isn't one. That doesn't happen very often. No Heffler or no Howard. Uh, Jake yeah, Howard right? either. So that's uh, that's pretty rare. I did see that Billy Simpson won one of the gambler's races. So uh, there's at least some normalcy in Division 4. 
Luke, if you'll cover Division 5, I would appreciate that. I'm having a slight technical difficulty that I will work through you know, just in a matter of moments. I can do it. ET Finals D5 Topeka. Todd Piper wins the Super Pro main event. This will be his third trip to the Summit World Championship runoff. Uh, he's won it once. Uh, his father, also Todd Piper, was runner-up at the first, the very inaugural, what's that, 21 years ago now, uh, Summit ET runoff. So that uh, family, no stranger to making this trip. He punches yet another ticket. Uh, Division 5 also earned the wild card in Super Pro. So Race of Champions winner Mike Seacrest, also ticket punched to Vegas. In Pro, another racer that is no stranger to the World Championship runoff, Brandon Schmall wins the Pro ET title yet again and will represent Division 5 yet again. <laughs> I, I get a little bit confused because I believe Andy's been three times and won it. No, wait. I don't think Andy won it. I think Andy's been three times. Brandon won it the first time that he went. Went last year because both he and Andy went last year. I, I want to say for some reason, I want to say this is Brandon's fourth trip, but I know it's at least his third. So each of the Schmall brothers three plus appearances in this event, which is just insane when you say it. Um, Andy goes this year representing division five yet again uh, in sportsman, Ryan Monford going for back-to-back -back seasons. Monford, I believe I could be mistaken. I think it was last year that he won the sportsman title in division five and made that trip to Vegas. He'll be back to try it again this season and in the bikes. Um, Patrick Rowetto was your winner of the main event. I think I missed the race of champions, race of champions winner in pro Adam, AKA Bo Sanders and uh, in bike, David Primrose. And just to circle back uh, to the division four, we, we didn't have that right. Their sportsman main event winner, Adam Martinez, Adam Martinez will represent uh, the good guys uh, out in Vegas at the summit ET world championship runoffs. Way to go, Adam. Nice work. And, um, you know, Luke, just to just to cover that Division 5 once again, Todd Piper, a uh, guy that is familiar with the whole process, he'll be uh, forced to be reckoned with. And Brandon Schmall, what can you say about Brandon? This guy just wins. Apparently, if your name is Schmall, you're just extra talented and, uh, and you create havoc for the other lane. Schmalls play big. Yes, they do. And, uh, you know, I – I think there's something to the name Schmall. Um, I'm actually going to have a name change. I'm, I'm doing the paperwork now to change my name. My name, my new name is going to be Sarah Hastings. But um, if that doesn't go through, if that's already taken or something, I might be Jed Schmall. Um, either way, I feel like I got a really bright future on the racetrack ahead of me because of the name change. I'll go with the. Uh... Maybe more of a nickname, but like Schmalls. Can I be Can I be Schmalls Heffler? <laughs> I take that. <laughs> yeah, Schmalls Heffler is good. And shout out to Ryan Monfort. We got to talk to him after his uh, sportsman win. Uh, and uh, last year, was it last year? Or I think it was last year. I might be mistaken. I think it was last year. Yeah, could have been 19 or 20. Might have been 19. One. Might have been 19. Whichever one it was, uh, it was it was a cool deal and, and, and Ryan getting to go back. So good luck to him. And all of these winners, divisions three, four, and five, that's a huge deal and something that each of those racers I know are super proud of and, and we're wishing each and every one of you a lot of success on your trip uh, to Vegas and looking forward to seeing how that works out here in uh, the very near future.
without question, Jed, I know you looked through that list and I'm sure you take a lot of pride in uh, a lot of WFC regulars punching that ticket. It's yeah. the same here. I don't want to out anybody because people are uh, people at times can be funny about like, you know, I, I, I don't want to uh, admit that I, I needed help here, but like there's a, a laundry list. There's like four of these winners that are members at This Is Bracket Racing Elite. So that's pretty cool on our end. Not, not that I'm trying to take credit for their success, but to be a part of their team and to, you know, kind of have their back, so to speak, like pretty cool stuff to see our guys uh, succeed at that level and, uh, and get the opportunity to compete on the stage like Vegas is. And the other thing I wanted to circle back on, like you've mentioned Todd Piper and, and Brandon Small specifically, and Ryan Monfort obviously falls into this category. Uh, we've talked about this to some extent before, but I've never had an opportunity to compete on that particular stage, right? I've watched it from the stands and the electricity is, it feels comparable to, you know, I always talk about Monday at Indy or late rounds of the million, right? And you can cut the tension with a knife. And you just think, like, I, I talked about gymnasts and figure skaters earlier, like, this is akin to that. Like, this is an opportunity that most racers race your whole life for, right? To, to be in the final eight cars at Pomona or at Vegas running for the world championship. Like, that's the, the pinnacle, right? And yes. given the nature of that event and the immense pressure, like, I don't care. It's one thing if you're from Phoenix and drive to Vegas, right? But by and large, like these guys are from Lebanon Valley driving to Vegas, right? Like they're, yeah. they're farther from home probably than 95% of them have ever been driving a race car, right? And I would have to think, I don't, if you did it eight times, it's never going to be easy. But I would have to think that having been through it before, realizing the emotions that you're going to feel, understanding the schedule of the event, because it's going to be run more like a national event, it's drug out. Like, I would think that it is a pretty significant advantage to be going up there for the second time, or in some cases, the third or fourth time at an event of that nature. Absolutely, no doubt, an advantage, Luke. And, you know, it, it's, it doesn't always turn into a win light because you've, you've got a little bit of an advantage there. But, uh, I mean, if you had your choice, if you're going there for the first time or you're going there for the third time, you definitely want to be the third time. And, and there's obvious reasons for that. So, um, not that I think those racers will go out and dominate by any means, but, you know, if they're – if their data tells them, you know, man, when this wind picks up in Vegas and it's a headwind and, and it's this thing's blowing 15 miles per hour plus, you know, your car is going to slow down 12 hundredths in the, the quarter. That's, that's big deal. That's, that's valuable information and data that you only get by being there and knowing how your car reacts to it. So if those type things happen with the weather, and they happen there often, as you know, um, you know, anything's yeah, possible. Vegas, I mean, you, right. you've, you've changed your dial in more at Vegas uh, than, than anywhere you've ever raced probably. But um, so, you know, if that type of stuff happens where they've seen that in the past, it'll be a clear advantage for them to be able to adjust to it. So we'll see how it plays out. But again, I think going there for the second or third time is, is easily considered advantageous for those racers. Yeah, no, I was thinking of it more from a mental standpoint, but you're right, like specific to Vegas. And I know this is only the second year that it's been held at that facility, but yeah, that 
that is one facility that definitely has its nuances and racing out in the desert and wind can be such a huge factor and and it's a little bit of altitude compared to what most racers are used to like it's a tricky place to race so any data there is is a is a big thing i will push back on you a little bit though swinging the dial in um i've been to great I know, Bend. I know where you're going. yeah i remember have this. i shared this story before on the podcast yes i remember this story yeah but it's still so great nothing nothing tops great Bend. like i've I remember watching Vegas one year and they had some monumental wind change and like everybody swung the dial in like two tenths, but I wasn't there for it. Right. I think the craziest one that I've run at Vegas and it was eighth mile. So it was, it was, uh, um, not as extreme, but the first spring fling million there, like we ran the, the million dollar main event into like a 40 plus mile an hour crosswind and it was cold and brutal. I remember it being like the only the first time in like five years that I took the wing off of my drag strip because I made the time trial with the wing. And when I came off the bleachers, which is like the eighth mile finish line, I thought I swapped lanes. That's how strong the wind was. I was like, it's gotta be better without the wing. I'm ditching it. Right. Uh, Yeah. That was pretty crazy. But no, the, the great bend experience, I've been to great bend once in my life. It was for a, uh, uh, NHRA divisional event. And I make my last run on Saturday, the last time trial, and I was close and I'm feeling pretty good about it. And somebody's like, that won't mean anything tomorrow. There's a front blowing in. And I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, it's going to drop off 10 degrees, like whatever. Right. And I wake up Sunday morning and I, it was cool enough. I had the windows open in the, in the trailer. And I thought, oh, it's not even that chilly. Like it had, it had a humid air to it. I'm like, it ain't going to be any faster than yesterday. Right. And I unload my cars and start getting them ready. And then I just, whatever, I was working on my Corvette and I turn around and the sky behind me is pitch black, like tornado alley. Like this looks awful. Right. And I'm scrambling as fast as I can to put everything back away. And it never rained, but within 20 minutes, the temperature dropped 25 degrees. The <laughs> flags on my, I had the, you know, the, the, the sponsor flags on my trailer that had been blowing straight up the racetrack headwind all weekend are blown over touching the ground tailwind. Like it went from say a 18 mile an hour headwind to like a 40 mile an hour tailwind in 20 minutes. And like I said, it never rains. So they're calling cars to the lanes. So I quickly throw things back out. I'm like, Oh my God. Right. And I look at the weather station and I'm tapping it on the screen. Like that can't be right. I've never seen a swing like this, right? Like that, this cannot be accurate. So the way that I figure my factors, it's like 2,500 fast from my time trial. And when I looked an hour ago, it was like two. There's no way, right? <laughs> the staging lanes and I'm parked next to Jeff Lopez. And he's like, look, how fast do you think it is? We were going to leave the trailer. And I'm like, uh, I hadn't really got a chance to look at it yet, right? He's like, uh, all right, well, I think it's like eight fast. And I kind of look at him like, okay. So I go back and again, I've got it like 26. So I ride to the lanes and he's like, how fast do you think it is? I said, what did you say when we left the track? I think it's like 800 faster. I go, I don't even want to tell you what I came up with. Cause obviously one of us is bad wrong and I don't want to mess you up. He's like, what do, what do you mean? I'm like, I think it's way faster than eight. It's like 12. <laughs> it's 18? eight to the 60. <laughs> no, I, I, I got it like, two and a half tenths fast. What? Like, there's no way. 
and he goes, well, how much of that's wind? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know, like a 10th. I don't know. Right. And so <laughs> Jeff walks over in the lanes to Gary Stinnett because Stinnett was doing his carburetors. And he's like, look, man, I don't need to know all the secrets. You got a better handle on this than anybody. I'm just asking wind alone, right? Like, what do you think the wind is worth from our last run? And Gary looks around and he goes, here? And you just have to picture that because I swear you can stand in Great Bend, Kansas, and you can see the Rockies and you can see the Mississippi. Like, there's just, it's flat for as far as you can see, and there's nothing in the way. Here? A lot. <laughs> And Jeff's like, what's a lot? He's like, I don't know, 12, 15. And Jeff's jaw drops and he's like, you just told me it was 26 fast and you only accounted to 10th for the win. And the five-time world champion is telling me that the win might be worth 15. <laughs> so yeah, we were plenty confused. And it was, uh, I underestimated it. I think I was like 28 fast from my last time trial the first year. Never seen anything like it. Hit the tree and get there last. Well, see, that's the best part of the story because that was my plan, 100%. Like, whoever crossed first loses. Like, don't go red, don't cross first, you win. And uh, then I leave. And I obviously treat my opponent by, like, close to a tenth. And I'm having this oh, no. internal conflict on the stop. Like, oh, no, I just no. treat him by a mile. Like, I have to cross first, right? And I thought, damn, just, like, stay in front. But, like, I get a hundredth because you treat him like seven, you know? So I'm that, 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 that. And my man tries to crash, dropping me. And it was my heart sunk like it's never sunk before. And I'm like, oh my God. And we go through and it's one of them double breakouts and like willing the wind light to come on. And it links because I did tree him 65 and he only fed me like 48. And we're both <laughs> six under. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great driving, Luke. Thank you. I appreciate that. All you that. can say about that. B double O take 50. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, so that, that, that sets us up well for some NHRA talk. I'm ready to nerd out for a little bit. Can I go NHRA for a little while? Yeah. I'm just going to sit over here and relax for a minute. All right. So since we last met, back-to-back uh, -back national events, NHRA is in this wild um, stretch now where we went uh, to Pika, Brainerd, one week off, Indy, Reading, Charlotte, St. Louis is this weekend, like seven, what is that? Seven national events in eight weeks, something ridiculous. So since we last talked, we've had national events in Reading and Charlotte, plus divisional events in Earlville, Phoenix. I'd have even been one other. NHRA has been busy, right? So we've got some catching up to big stories from the two national events. We nearly had a Team Kenny double up at Reading. Jason Kenny wins Super Gas. Al Kenny runner-up in Top Dragster. So shouts to those guys. Um, Taylor Iacono got her first national event win in what may have been her first Super Comp appearance. I didn't really do the, the, the homework on that. She may have run Super Comp at like one other event. But either way, she hasn't done it much and uh, drove right to the winner's circle. So that's super impressive. Taylor, if you followed her career, has had a... A tremendous amount of sex, success in the 90 ranks. Um, but like I say, pretty new to super comp and certainly starting off on the right foot. In Charlotte, I think obviously, Big Jed, the big story, Fletch. Fletch is back. Yes, once again, adding to the list, Luke. Superstock victory, NHRA national event win number 105. And it's actually, it'll surprise most. It's his first win at the national event level in uh, a little over two years. 
obviously it got to 100 really quickly, uh, hasn't, hasn't exceeded that by much by his standards in recent years, uh, gets back on the horse with a Superstock win at Charlotte. Win number 105 is significant in that it ties Dan Fletcher with Frank Manzo for the most sportsman national event wins in history. Obviously, it's Manzo, Fletcher, David Rampey are the three that have eclipsed the century mark. And uh, now Fletch one win away from standing alone atop uh, this incredible field. They just that those three are obviously an incredible group of sportsman racers, but obviously that's atop every sportsman racer that has ever done it. Trivia time for you, Big Jed. Yes, I love these. This marked Dan Fletcher's 105th NHRA national event win. Can you tell me the location and the year of number one? Oh, Dan told us this in his interview. Uh, I'm going to have to, let me, let me guess the year first, Luke. Uh, This is 2021. I'm going to say it was 30 years ago, 1991. Am I anywhere close? Yeah, you are. You're actually closer than I would have been. I would have guessed maybe, maybe even late eighties. Like it just seems like to amass 105 wins, you had to start a long time ago, right? Uh, Fletcher's first in 1994. Like that just seems like a pretty brief time period. I guess it puts into perspective what he's accomplished, right? Yeah. Because when you consider that the first 104 basically came in what's a 25 years time. And that's four national event years for 25 freaking four national event wins a year for 25 years. That's insane. That really is insane. <laughs> um, and I, I would have to think if it was his first one, that it had to be close to home. So I'm okay, going, good logic. I'm going to go English town. Excellent guess. Uh, it, it is close to his, relatively close to his Western New York home. And actually a facility where another Western New Yorker recently has dominated is Columbus. Oh, Columbus. Yeah. The place that Pete Agnolo is calling home. Oh. Yeah. So Columbus, 1994 for the first. Like I say, when I put that into perspective, what he has done since is, I mean, to average four national event wins a year. Like, there's not too many people that have won four national events a year in a year. Fletch did it for 25 straight years, basically, right? Like, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That um, really is crazy. A little bit of perspective, and, and I admittedly, I robbed this directly from uh, Kevin McKenna's sports report this weekend, or this week. I think it actually just released today as we, as we record this. Dan Fletcher, 105 NHRA national event wins. That is more, obviously, uh, more national event wins than anyone not named Frank Manzo in the sportsman categories. But how about this stat? His 105 national event wins, seven more than Edmund Richardson and Peter Biondo combined. Two of the greatest of all time combined. You got them covered. Yeah, that's nuts. Wow. <laughs> that is, that is uh, I mean, Dan, you know, doesn't get the credit he deserves, really. I mean, when you look at that, that, that is beyond impressive, Luke, in, a, in an environment that's, that's difficult to win in. Uh, we talked about how things change, and this guy's done this, done a lot of those, uh, the, the vast majority with a quadrajet carburetor on his car. 
And uh, those should count double, right? Yeah. Anybody that's ever raced one of these things, you know, you, you talk about weather swings and, and how things get impacted. My goodness. I mean, uh, those things are finicky and challenging and, and to see what Dan has accomplished in many categories, but, you know, by and large on the bottom bulb uh, is just, it is, it's something that we probably will never see again, Luke. And and probably is used very loosely there because it ain't going to happen. No, I mean, you don't have any idea, I guess, what the future brings, but given the sportsman drag racing landscape is not what it was. Fletcher told us this when we had him on. It's not what it was 25, 30 years ago. And Dan was unique at that point, like to be able to do that type of racing, essentially, I mean, it's not essentially, he did it full time. Like he did it for a living for north of two decades. And the, if there is an opportunity now to do that, it's almost certainly in the big dollar bracket scene. It's probably not in the NHRA ranks. And you combine that with the fact like there's, for that reason, there's going to be very few people that ever tried to attempt to do it at the level that Dan did for so long. And um, there's probably not going to be anyone that does it that's as talented as Dan. And I think it's fair to say that it's more difficult to win now than it's ever been. Like to amass half of that. I mean, look at, we just talked about the careers of Edmund Richardson and Peter Biondo. And neither have got to 50. Like, I don't, Justin Lamb is probably the logical candidate to, to make a run perhaps at, at like numbers like Peter and Edmund have. But I honestly would be incredibly impressed and, and, and surprised, to be completely honest, if we saw a racer that is like, say, south of 20 right now, get to 50 in our lifetime. Like 105 is one of those, that's like the Ted Williams, uh, like that's, that's never going to get touched. Like that's, yep. that's absolutely rare. Yeah. And he's done it for a living. You don't see a lot of that yep. uh, in that category, in those categories any longer. And he's done it for the most part with significant sponsorship support that's allowed him to, to go out and, and compete at uh, sometimes all of the events, but definitely a lot of them on the on the schedule each year. So uh, Dan is, is an anomaly uh, somewhat. Now you just, you're not going to see that, that happen ever again for a lot of reasons, talent uh, opportunities, and and certainly the financial impact is, is, you know, it's just, and he's even said it, it's really not worth it to spend your own dollar to, to win what you win, to have to chase it like that. So uh, Dan's just a little bit of a different animal, but you know, he's not just good at that. He's good at everything. He's just an unbelievable racer. I mean, he's, he's kicked my ass real good before in the, in the top bulb stuff. So uh, this guy's just one of those got a lot of talent and great to see him still being able to use it and get big win lights and, and national event wins. One other um, just kind of random note that I wanted to throw out from Charlotte. How about Bob and Allison pros doing their best Joe and Kayla Moseris impression? Bob and Allison nearly did it. It was nearly, well, it wouldn't have been a father-daughter double because they were in the same category. They almost had a father-daughter final. I'm not sure that's ever happened. We'd have to get with McKenna or Austin Williams or something to verify that. They came within one round of it. Um, They were down to three cars in Supercomp at Charlotte. Bob Pros had the bye run. Michael Hondras wrecked the party. 
he, he defeated Allison in the semis. Then uh, her father, Bob, ended up winning Super Comp. It was his first national event win. How incredible would it have been for his first national event win to be staging up beside his daughter uh, in what I think would have also been her first national event final? Pretty special stuff. Yeah, it would have been very special. Um, still a great accomplishment by the both of them, but uh, man, just that would have been really cool to, to see them get to, to square off against one another. Like I said, it's been a busy stretch on the NHRA Tour, so we're beginning to wind down. There's actually still, with the Houston and Dallas races, I think there's still six NHRA national events on the schedule, so it's not like we're uh, exactly in the home stretch yet, and at least that many divisional events remaining. I think it's probably the number's closer to 10 um, divisional events remaining across the country, so nothing uh, certainly finalized or clinched just yet, but given the six-ish points-earning races that we've had in the last two weeks, the championship races in certain categories have gotten a little bit clearer, and in other categories have gotten a little bit more interesting. Uh, the one that I think we've been following with the most intrigue <clears throat> to this point is Superstock, and my man Ricky Decker went to Earlville, Iowa, the Division 5 event, and uh, drove his Camaro to victory and really shook things up once again in Superstock. So with that win, this, that clutch win this late in the season, Ricky Decker and Joe Santangelo are now within two points of each other atop the standings and are in very similar positions. I think they've been to the exact same number of races. They each have four races remaining at which they could claim points. Decker has um, <clears throat> slightly more room to improve. He's got a little bit uh, lower races to throw out. So his ceiling is higher, but it's not significantly higher. Like it looks like those two will duke it out. And as I've been saying for six months now, um, this championship goes through Greg Stanfield too. Stanfield started the season off lit on fire and then just kind of stopped racing. He's only been to one national event so far this season. Um, there are only six left. He, I, I checked the entry list today. He is entered in five of them. He's going to make the the six race maximum, they're just going to be the last five national events of the season. He's going to do them all at once. Uh, in addition to, I think he's got one or two points meets that he can still claim as well. So he is going to be in that mix. It looks as though those three have separated themselves from the field, but again, there are a lot of races left. Nothing's over till it's over. Um, watching those three compete. They're all former national champions. They're all very much at the top of their game. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun to see how this shakes out. Uh, it will be fun, Luca. Logistically, Santangelo seems like it, it. You know, it could be it could be a battle for him logistically. Um, you know, as this as this season winds down, obviously it goes west, and that you know seemed to fit Decker and and Stanfield much better. But hopefully, Joe can get there, and and you know, I would come, say because Santangelo has a legitimate chance to win yeah. not one but two national championships this season so given that i think whatever it takes joe will be there and i don't have it in front of me but there's a double divisional in virginia this weekend which is technically division one it's not particularly close to where joe santangelo wins lives but i would expect to see him there so that's half of the remaining races so it's really just one trip from there i don't know if that is rockingham perhaps or uh, you know, a trip a little bit further west to something like Noble, Oklahoma. I don't know. Um, but I would rest assured that Santangelo will make the four races left on his ledger. I don't know how far he'll have to go to do it, but that dude showed up in Brainerd, Minnesota. So, yeah. And I, you know, I just, I wonder, will he, you know, if he, 
if he does put himself in a little better position with great performance at Virginia, does he, you know, try to go play blocker? Does he, does he just leave it up to, to fate and see how it happens? Or does he try to, you know, get a little bit more, a little more control of it and go out there and, and go West and play blocker some. So it'd be well, interesting to see how that works. If there's anyone that understands what's possible, it's Joe Santangelo. If you'll remember yep. the year that Santangelo won his championship, I believe that was 2011. Um, he had to win the Vegas points meet to overtake Jody Lang. By the way, that Jody Lang season, that was the 699 point season. That was not good enough. It's the highest points total ever to not win a championship. And it was Santangelo that, on command won the last race of the season. So if anybody knows that those long shots can come through, it's Joe Santangelo. So if anybody's willing to make the trek from uh, where's he live, Connecticut to Las Vegas yeah. for that reason, he might be the guy. Yeah, really good point. <laughs> um, Super gas though. The one that probably has the most personal interest for the show. Um, <clears throat> I'll say this, uh, John LaBoost jr. Uh, definitely I felt like was my biggest contender throughout the season uh, with early exits from Indy and from Charlotte. Uh, Labouche can no longer mathematically catch me. He's got two races left. If he won them both, he would be less than a round behind. So I, it's not mathematically over. I have not clinched, but at this point, like someone would have to win like three or four races in a row. Uh, I think I think I'm like 200 points ahead of third at this point. So it looks pretty good. Like if there's one that I would say right now, like looks pretty good, it's actually mine. So super gas to the lanes. You're not willing to call this over. It's not over till it's over, but uh, I'm feeling right. pretty good about it. You're looking really good. Luke. At this point, uh, Big E has, you know, as a, as a 105 point average. The problem for, for Big E, Edmund Richardson, is that he's only got two races in the books. And uh, again, I think there are technically like 16-ish races left. Perhaps, I haven't mapped this out, like perhaps there is an avenue. If you raced every weekend and crisscrossed the country from here out, like he could probably make the maximum. And uh, I wouldn't put it past Edmund Richardson to, to win several more races. But um, when you combine that with the fact that I have got a really strong score, uh, yeah. I feel pretty good about it. If I'm Big E, I stop right where I'm at, and I just tell you, Luke, if I had kept running, if I'd gone all of them, I would have kicked your ass. <laughs> but and I'd be fine just, with that. You're like, just you fortunate know, I didn't. You know, that's, yeah, you're, you're probably right, Big E. So <laughs> let's just stay home. I'm good with that. Um, <laughs> the, I, was, I was thumbing through each class today, and, and we'll take a deeper dive on this, but I thought I would at, at some point – but I thought I would touch on this, like top sportsman, super intriguing. Cause it is wide open. Like Alan Firestone leads right now, but he's claimed out at like 480 points. That's not going to win the world championship. I don't think. Um, and the field below him, like everybody's just jam packed together and there's big names. And there's also names that uh, you're not accustomed to seeing in there. And everybody's got a shot. Like if I was going to handicap it, um, our Charlotte winner, Vince Hoda on paper, looks like the guy and this would be awesome because i don't know if you've ever met vince like coolest guy in the top sports and pits awesome dude um as is have, uh, having a banner season was i talked to him not long ago and he was far more concerned about trying to chase down the division four title and it seemed like 
a national championship was completely an afterthought. Well, then he goes, you know, on the strength of this division four record that has him in contention for the division four championship, he makes his way to Charlotte. He wins top sportsman. And now all of a sudden he's in the top five with several races to claim. Like I think on paper, Vince Hoda is actually the championship to win the national champion is the favorite to win the national championship. I should say Jimmy Lewis, who won the U S nationals also won the mile high nationals. He's only been to six races this year. But if he wants to go and it's going to basically come to him, you've got national events in Dallas and Houston, the final division four and noble. Uh, and I don't think it would be a stretch for Jimmy to make his way out to Vegas for that stretch run at the end of the year. Um, he's obviously a guy that's capable. He's won multiple big races. He's a former super gas world champion. If he wants to get on the road and make a run at this, he is a favorite. Jerry Albert is no stranger to the winner's circle. He also has several races left. Um, logistically, I think it might be a little bit tougher from where Jerry's located in Ohio, but the prize is there. Uh, if the, if the motivation is there, Albert is certainly capable. And those are just the guys that are lurking there, like top 10 with multiple races left. Again, that whole top 10 is so bunched together that it won't necessarily take multiple races. It'll take like going out and showing out at two events, you know, maybe back-to-back -back wins for anybody in that top 10 probably wins the championship. And within that top 10 are some familiar names. You got reigning champion, Darian Bosch, uh, reigning or former, at least division three champion, Kurt Fredericks, Dylan Stott, uh, friend of the podcast, Doug Gaber, like all of those guys with a couple of late showings, you know, like two finals or something like that, the rest of the way, they're probably the champ. Like it's going to be super exciting to watch this top sportsman thing unfold. Yeah. Like that's the way it ought to be. That's, that's the way, I mean, you're, you're sitting out there running away with super gas and yeah, I mean, quite frankly, that's boring watching you and your third championship. It's just going to be boring. I'm liking these tight, tight points battles uh, with so many potential contenders and, you know, ideally, no one will win a couple of races. Each of these guys will perform well at the events that they're choosing to go to, and, and it'll just come down to the to the late rounds of the last race. That'll be pretty exciting. Yeah, I think with I think unquestionably Top Sportsman comes down to uh, the Vegas points meet. Like I don't think they traditionally run Top Sportsman at Pomona, um, but it will almost certainly come down to Vegas. And actually, similarly, Jed, like Comp Eliminator, which we don't always pay a lot of attention to on this show. And to be frank, like it's relatively rare that we have a dogfight atop the top comp eliminator standings. It's not necessarily a class known for parity. Usually someone runs away with it. Um, it seems like there was one year it was Aragona and Bourgeois. I think that might've been last season kind of came down to the wire and that was exciting, but it's usually like not that tense. Like usually comp is kind of settled in August. This year, it is anything but like it's as wide open as top sportsmen. When we talked about this uh, a couple of months ago, I said um, it's uh, it's Pete Dagnolo and Greg Campaign look to have kind of distanced themselves from the field, but it's too early to ever count out Bruno Massel and Frank Aragona, right? Like they, they've done this at too high a level for too long. Well, I told you it was common. Okay. <laughs> they have both been on a tear. And currently, uh, Bruno is in the lead nationally, not by much, uh, just ahead of Pete Dagnolo, just ahead of Greg Campaign. And all of a sudden, Frankie Aragona 
has won like three of his last four events, including the national event in Charlotte, I believe, including the national event in Reading, uh, has just been red, red hot and very much within striking distance. So you've got those two. You've got Dagnolo. You've got Greg Camplain. Joe Mozaris has an incredible score with races yet to claim. He he went down early at the double divisional in Phoenix that hurt his score on paper a little bit, but he's very much still in the fight. And if you're looking for uh, a dark horse, so to speak, like someone that is currently outside of the top 10, um, but has races left to claim, it is Cody Lane. And we talked about the season that Cody's having. He's almost certainly going to win the Division Four title and the $50,000 bonus from Roof Tech that comes with it. Um, but he has five national events yet to claim. He's obviously going to make his way back to Division Four to make that last divisional in, in uh, Noble, Oklahoma, because that's part of that bonus, like that you have to attend, I think it's five of the six home division races. So he has to be there. And so I know he was already entered in the Houston national event, which will take place leading up to Dallas. I assume that they will continue West, make Vegas, Vegas, Pomona. And then that suddenly that fills his ledger. And if he continues at the pace that he has started the season, Cody Lane is going to be a factor in that championship too. It's just, it's fun and it's rare to be quite frank, to be this deep into the season and be able to list off six, seven names that could legitimately win the competition eliminator world championship. And that's where we're at. Yeah, that is a category that typically gets wrapped up uh, with a, a racer that's had four, five, six really strong races, maybe wins, and in some, uh, I guess, lower attended divisionals and whatnot. So uh, it's great to see that that there's some competition there. And this this run by Cody Lane, you know, driving so far and and winning the Division Four championship with that big bonus out there and then having so much left on his plate to to claim for the national that's going to be uh that's going to be fun to watch it, it would obviously be quite the dream season when he completes the, the division four championship and if he could stack a, a national championship on top of that uh, you know that's got to be beyond even hopes and dreams really Another class that is completely wide open, and I feel like normally I have a pretty good handle on Supercomp specifically, like here's who should win the championship. Like I have no idea who's going to win the Supercomp World Championship this season. And when you look at like the top 10, it is littered with the biggest names in the category, former world champions, none of them really having, I think what, what they would consider a a championship season or a great season to this point, but you look through the top 10 and it's Gary Stinnett, it's Ray Ray Miller, it's Sherman Adcock, it's Christopher Dodd, Johnny LaBoose, Austin Williams, every one of them, former champion, most of them multi-time former national champions. Like again, kind of like I talked about in top sportsman, it's down to the point where like two really good races, like two finals for any one of those guys, probably going to make them the champion. And they're all capable, right? Obviously, they've all been there before, done it before. If you're looking to 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 say say that there would be a a new champion in Supercomp this year, hey, I would say given that list, it's probably unlikely. But if you're looking for that candidate, there's actually two really intriguing candidates lurking just outside the top ten that are very capable, uh, but have not to this point claimed a world championship. One is Tom Stalba. Um, who is very much within striking distance with races left to claim. The other is a name that might surprise a lot of people, but he's been to just enough of these and he's obviously very capable. Hunter Patton 
sits just outside the top 10 with races left to claim. Like, I don't know what his plans are or what his schedule looks like, but if he wants to go chase this and he were to get hot at the right time, we could very well be talking about a Hunter Patton national championship. Yeah, that'd be cool, Luke. Uh, you know, obviously, as the NHRA season winds down, it also is uh, in direct competition, if you will, for lack of a better term, with True. big money bracket racing True. and the best big money bracket races around. So it'll be interesting to see which path Hunter chooses and uh, and what he chases after. But what's cool about the list that you just uh, just named off for me is couple of guys there that have won million dollar races in the past and one in the aforementioned Hunter Patton has won a half a million dollar race. So, um, you know, some all-star bracket racers, obviously John Laboose uh, has won just about everything you can win on the bracket racing side as well. So some all-star bracket racers uh, mixing it up there with some legendary NHRA sportsman racers and a really cool mix of talent, and it'd be fun to watch that one play out as well. Uh, Stock Eliminator, just to hit the other classes, it looks to me, I think Joe Santangelo is in the driver's seat. Like I said, he's a, he's a legitimate threat to win multiple national championships. Now, we had this same discussion two years ago. I think it was in 2019. He was a legitimate threat to win multiple national championships, ended up not winning either one. Uh, that was the year Allison Dahl won in Stock. And I believe Justin Lamb claimed one of his many uh, national championships in Superstock. But Santangelo was absolutely down to the wire. I know he was second in stock. I think he was top three in Superstock. Um, it's too early to say, but it, it, like I say, he's in the driver's seat in Stock Eliminator. He leads by five plus rounds and still has uh, several races at which to improve. Um, but he's obviously getting competition, most notably from Kyle Rizzoli. With his win at Charlotte, Timothy Stickles, Division One racer, actually moves into the the thick of the mix as well. And he just continues this trend that we're seeing, which is somewhat surprising given the, the advent of technology in the stock eliminator class and the consistency and quickness of the factory stock eliminator cars, you know, that whether it's a, a Copo car or the Cobra jets or the drag packs, um, but you see what Jody Lang did last year. You see what Wes Neely did to start this season. Um, you know, on, a, on the extreme case, we've talked about Derek Elam and his success out on the uh, in the Northwest. Timothy Stickles, uh, another guy that's driving a car that is on down the alphabet, um, just won the national event in Charlotte over the weekend, has had a tremendous season and has positioned himself to where uh, he could certainly make a run at this championship. Like I say, at this point, I want to say it's Santangelo's to lose. Um, but if you're looking for someone not named Joe Santangelo to make a run at this, I think it's Rizzoli. I think it's Timothy Stickles. Uh, it could be Blake Hickman. And if you want to look down the sheet a little bit at a dark horse, I have no idea if she has any intention to make the events required to make a run at this. And actually, if she does, she might be in the same trailer with Hunter Patton. They might go in this together. Uh, Randy Lynn Ship has only been to like six NHRA events to this point. She's been in three final rounds. Um, like the stage is set. If she wants to make a run, uh, she could potentially be the biggest threat to Joe Santangelo's championship. Uh, it would just take uh, logging some highway miles and getting on the road here late in the season. Yeah, Randy Land has raced very well, so I would love to see her just take as many opportunities as she can and make a run at this, and I don't see why she wouldn't, but maybe logistically it doesn't work out. Uh, I think uh, Bo is um, 
you know, the leader of that pack and kind of uh, determines a lot of times where they go based on whatever class he's choosing to run at the time. So hopefully Randy Lynn will get, get an opportunity to do that. But if she doesn't, um, you know, it, it, obviously it just didn't mean that much to her and couldn't make it work out. But as you mentioned, Luke, Timothy Stickles, a cool story. Uh, he and his father uh, come, going to Charlotte and getting by our buddy, Bad Brad Pluard in the final round of Stock Eliminator. And obviously one of the slower cars, as you mentioned, drove really well, hit the tree well, uh, got him a, a 004 light in the final and, and run close enough to, to make it work out and, and had to run Brad under the dial. But um, I think they've been doing this for quite some time and get their first national event uh, trophy was uh, was fun story. I saw Brad on social media giving them uh, they're due for, for that great driving performance by Timothy and, and certainly a, a really cool win. So uh, it would be uh, really fun to watch him get a couple of more big win lights and get in the middle of this stock eliminator chase. The only class that we haven't touched on at this point, top dragster. And this is reminiscent of what we saw Danny Nelson do Here two he years comes. ago. Here he comes. It's that it's Danny's time of year, right? Yes. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think we're likely to see again what Danny actually accomplished in 2019. Like it was, I mean, I think he won like 20 consecutive rounds of top dragster. Maybe there was one race in there where he lost in the semis, but he won five out of six or something crazy, right? To just completely come out of no for, go from not on the radar to running away with the championship in like two months' time, right? This season's a little bit different, but similar in that through the first like half of his points earning season, I don't think Danny Nelson advanced out of round three. And since then he has pretty much been in the final everywhere he's gone. Um, uh, capped off with a win at Charlotte last weekend that finally catapulted him into the national points lead over Anthony Bertozzi. And um, that's still not over, but Danny's actually in better position at this point than Anthony. He has more races left, has better races to improve, and he has a three-round lead. He is certainly the favorite. And when you take a look at this in a vacuum, Danny Nelson was your top director world champion in 2019. Last season, he ends up finishing third, but he staged for the round that would have won it. He's in the final round at the Dallas National Event takes runner-up honors. If he wins that round, he's your world champion back-to-back years. And now this year, where he's once again fighting for the championship, probably going to, if he doesn't win it, he's going to finish number two. Like three consecutive years atop what could be the most, one of the most uh, mechanically challenging classes. And I think sneaky competitive classes top to bottom in the NHRA landscape for Nate Nelson to do what he's done, regardless of whether or not he gets to hoist that trophy at the end of this season, what he's done over the last three years is very, very impressive. Yeah, no doubt. And as we talked about Luke, Danny's, uh, he's no puppy. Um, you know, Danny's been doing this for several decades and still out there competing, you know, building, phenomenal race cars at, at Danny Nelson racecraft chassis and uh, and obviously taking his own product and and competing on a very high level and getting a lot of win lights is in a in a difficult class that's a that's a fast fast bracket class and uh, Danny you know is not going to be your typical 
guy out there at his and again i'm not trying to make him sound like he's he's over the hill and done by any means but but danny's been around a little while and you don't see the older guys out there going real fast a lot of times and competing so well in a class that that requires more than just letting go and getting it to the finish line there's a there's a lot that goes into a top dragster and making it a consistent winning vehicle and Danny's obviously again showing all the tools so congrats to him man it's, it's really fun to watch and he's one of the good guys too so that's even uh, even more gooder more gooder no question no um the one thing I, I'll circle back on Anthony Bertozzi like this is just uh, uh an example of how quickly things can change in these points chases because it wasn't two months ago Anthony was the odds-on favorite to to win two national championships, stock super stock and top dragster. And I think I even said like he's running away with top dragster. This is how quickly this can change. Like at this point now, uh, I think he's got zero chance to win the national championship in super stock. Like yeah, I don't I don't even know that he's mathematically alive at this point. Um, just a couple of bad performances, and then combine that with Joe Santangelo and Ricky Decker showing out, right? And now in top dragster, what looked like a sure thing, uh, Anthony goes and loses second round at two or three races and Danny Nelson can't be stopped. And now all of a sudden, uh, Bertozzi still absolutely got a shot at this. He's the biggest threat to Danny Nelson, but he is far from the favorite and has work to do to, uh, to win a second consecutive title in top dragster. And like I say, if you would have told me that two months ago, I'd have been like, no, man, he's Anthony Bertozzi. Like he's, he's winning. Look, look. <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's how quickly this stuff can change. You're really talking about, uh, a couple of races that could easily be decided by a couple of thousands of a second and the whole the whole landscape changes yeah that's a you know somewhat of a sad deal but for those of you out there that are feeling bad for anthony bertozzi um don't uh, <laughs> it's good to be a b okay it's real good to be a b <laughs> he's gonna be okay dog Everything gonna be all right. <laughs> win or lose, AB is a winner. Speaking of uh, of sad stories and bad beats, have you if you had anybody reach out to you? If you do, you have any bad beats to uh to throw into to this episode, Big Jed? Yeah, uh, Luke, I had uh, I've had uh, Aaron Durham sent me a couple of bad beats, and I, my my phone will not bring up my email at the moment it's down so uh, i was going to just look back at those i've also talked to, to blake fuquay as uh, you have mentioned in the show notes <laughs> that's pretty rough beat he's had for seven weeks in a row but uh but i don't have anything different to add other than what you've got on the list all right so let me say this first and foremost we got a lot of feedback on bad beats i think this will be a segment that will write itself I will make a request to the listeners because I got, I got bad beat feedback via text. I got bad, bad beat feedback via Facebook messenger. I got bad beat feedback on the Facebook page and I got bad beat feedback via email. And I'll just tell you, like, I appreciate all that. I read through them all. and thought, Ooh, yeah. Like that's a bad beat. Sometimes I laugh. Sometimes I cried. Um, but right, like right now, as we record the show, I can't remember where I got all of those. So for my sake, for the show's sake, just let's keep all those in one place. Email me, put bad beats in the subject line. I can find that. I can find that in pinch. Um, so yeah, I appreciate all the feedback, but again, like for the sake of organization and the, 
the hope that we actually get mentioned here. Let's let's keep it uniform. Do it right there. Um, I'll go. I don't. I don't. Fuquay was one. I think I, I read on Facebook. You can remind me, but I think Blake Fuquay had lost to the eventual winner in like seven consecutive races. That is correct. Yes, that's seven, <laughs> seven weeks in a row. Uh, so then in theory, like, okay, if I just get through that one round, I could be the winner, right? I mean, that's the way you have to look at that as a competitor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in theory, that, that's about right. Like it was uh, earlier in the season, Jacob Elrod shared something similar with me in an uh, NHRA super gas. It, it was, he rolled through the list and I think I was at most of the races, like whoever he lost to was in the final, like, five or six races in a row and i think when that streak snapped was when jacob won <laughs> it's like, that's the first time that you know whoever i lost to didn't win so yeah um so yeah definitely feel for blake i will go um for this week's bad beat and actually this circles back a little bit to um to our last episode we talked about the division six et finals and division six does it a little bit division six and seven actually do it a little bit differently than the other divisions in that they punch that ticket to Vegas based on the race of champions winner, not what those of us in the other divisions would consider the, the bracket finals main event in division six and seven, the race of champions is the main event. Well, in division six for the sportsman category, I believe it was, let me make sure that I've got this straight. Yeah. So pretty sure it was a sportsman category. Um, division six tries the wild card. So not only does the race champions winner get in, but the typical ET finals winner gets in. So Kip Poole proceeds to tell me, and Kip Poole, by the way, if that name sounds familiar, that was last year's, this is bracketracing.com, driver series, bottom ball champion from Bremerton Raceway, right? He's been on the show, friend of the podcast. So Kip reaches out and says, yeah, um, I actually have a lot of bad beats and they can, they seem to all come at the hands of one dude and it's Gary Howe Jr. Okay, so he goes on to tell me that Gary Howe has uh, has had an illustrious career at their home track, Bremerton Raceway. He's been the sportsman track champion every year since 2015. In several of those years, winning the Pro Track Championship as well. Now, Kip obviously had a great year uh, last season in 2020. Says he came into this year feeling great, you know, riding that high. The first five races, he's got two runner-ups, he's got two wins, doing really good running away with points he says the next thing i know i make a couple of mistakes gary howe starts winning and uh, it comes down to the last race of the season they pair each other in round two right this is this is all setting up the et finals yes. this week right so you're in second round with uh, with gary howe and uh he is how is double o on the tree kip makes it tight at the finish line takes 11th out stripe to be one thou under gary howe's win light comes on gary howe wins the track championship on the very same day, they meet up again later on in pro where Kip Poole is 1,000 thread. So that is two round losses, one track championship decided by a combined total of 1,000th of a second. Uh, yeah. A few weeks prior, they match up in a gambler's race and uh, Kip says he gives a strike back a 1,000th to Gary Hall, Gary Howe Jr. So that is three consecutive races decided by one thousandth of a second. And this is quarter mile sportsman classes. Like I don't think one thousandth of a second margin of victories are necessarily commonplace. Pretty bad beats, right? Yeah. Fast forward to the ET finals, Woodburn. 
the the regular ET finals now with a ticket to Las Vegas on the line, final round, Kip Pool versus Gary Hall. Okay. Kip says, I come into the final pretty confident. I've had a good spot on the tree. I'm going to be 20 something. It's a quarter mile race. We're going 12s. Like I'll take my 20 something and ride with it. He's 26, drops to one above. Gary Howe, seven total. Oh, second man. sportsman car in the final. So I think the moral of the story, Gary Howe Jr., bad dude. Kip Poole, wrong place, wrong time. Opposite Gary Howe Jr., on multiple occasions with like basically as high a stakes as you could have given what they're racing. Oh, no, that's, that's a horrible series of bad beats. That's a series of bad beats. Oh, yes. When you, especially when you consider it's just the same guy over and over and over <laughs> right. and you're making good runs and it's just coming up short, especially in sportsman category where that's, you know, even more challenging with the slower car. So Kip Pool, you definitely win. Blake Fugway, that, that's a that's bad beats, but my God, Kip, that's horrible. Just go somewhere else and race, man. You'll be the best they've ever seen. Just choose you <laughs> another track a couple hours away. Just forget Stay about that. Stay away from Bremerton. Stay away yeah. from Gary Howe Jr. Forget about that guy. <laughs> you know, most people would say, man, you're gonna get him. It's fine. It, it'll be okay. You're you're gonna get yours. You know what? Don't even worry about that. Just go somewhere else and race. You'll be the, the best bad part racer is there that those tables will turn and Kip may win 10 consecutive rounds against Gary Howe Jr. Right. They're both very good racers and that has a tendency to flip that way. The problem is that those 10 rounds combined will not likely have the same stakes that those last two did. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, good point. Uh, not, not nearly as much as stake. Sorry, Kip, but you are the bad beat champion of the week. I think that's the show, Jed. I, I think that's all I got. You got anything else? You know, Luke, I, you know, I believe this couple of hours we spent talking about sportsman drag racing is, uh, <laughs> I is, is about, all. <laughs> about all anyone can stand. Uh, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't imagine anybody hitting us up and saying you left this out because I feel like we covered every single race that has happened. But uh, it was a good time. I know um, obviously didn't have the show last week and that was on me. Uh, it was my turn to to handle that and I failed to do so just uh, really got jammed up man couldn't couldn't make it happen so I apologize to the listeners that was uh, that was on me but definitely um good to get back as a team here and and keep Mark up way past his bedtime on the east we're, coast we're bumping up against midnight on the east coast if you can tell i feel like for the last 40 minutes like the the pace of the show has slowed pretty considerably i think the listener can tell it's past our bedtime too but yeah it's almost 11 o'clock here in colberg <laughs> so i gotta get off here and get this done but we enjoyed it folks uh, be sure to reach out to us there on the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page you can uh Talk, talk to us publicly or send us a message either way keep those bad beats coming we're enjoying those for sure and uh, certainly let us know what you like what you didn't like what you want to hear more of less of whatever the case again that's right there on the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page and luke although uh, there's going to be a couple of these that that i'm not a huge fan of uh definitely looking forward to shouts so what you got on the list yeah, no, uh, start shouts off on a, on a serious note. Um, a couple of, uh, of really prominent uh, fixtures in the racing community, at least in, in my part of the country, uh, that passed away within the last week. So just wanted to say uh, thoughts and prayers to the family of 
Steve Hoheimer and Stu Drake and to rest in peace to both of those guys. Those are, those, those are a couple of really hard hits for the uh, Northern Kentucky, Southern Indiana racing yeah. community, two guys that will genuinely be missed. Most definitely. Most definitely. The, uh, you know, I'm much more familiar with Steve Hoheimer, uh, obviously seeing him there at, uh, at I-57 when I traveled up for your events and uh, the entire Hoheimer family are just genuine good people that love this sport of drag racing and um, our, our sport and humanity took a, took a big hit there when Steve left us and um, Stu Drake, uh, although I'm not very familiar with Stu, I can see there's a lot of love for Stu and uh, someone that was highly respected. So thoughts and prayers out to all the, the family and friends that were impacted by the loss of these two great folks. On a more fun note, shouts to Sarah Hastings. Shouts to Nick Hastings. Yeah. Shouts to Nick Hastings and his better thousands. I didn't realize he had better thousands than everyone else, but apparently he does. Maybe that was actually, I think that was Sarah. That was Sarah. It's a late night. And Nick too. (laughs) And Nick too. They they really have, they both have very good thousands. They got really good thousands. Excellent (laughs) thousands. Shouts to Biggie Schmalls. Shouts to Schmalls Heffler. And shouts to Anthony Bertozzi. It's good to be AB. Championship or no championship, it's good to be AB. 19 world championships can't be wrong. Yeah, like he's got somewhere to put another one. No, don't worry about AB, folks. He's all good. All right. Great job, Luke. Uh, definitely good list of shouts there. Listeners, thank you so much. Again, we appreciate you uh, tuning in. There was a lot of discussion here at this one. So if you lasted this long, you are truly a hashtag loyal listener. Be sure to go to manscaped.com, get your uh, performance package 4.0, your lawnmower 4.0, get any of those products for 20% off plus free shipping by simply using the promo code JED. They're helping us keep the show alive and we need you to help keep them alive. Go to manscaped.com and buy some product. You get 20% off plus free shipping by using the promo code JED. That's simply J-E-D. Get your Manscaped products today. You and your junk will thank you. Guys, that's it. If you would like to do the Twitter, Luke and I are both there on Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you. Tag us, bag us, whatever you do on Twitter, and we will respond and, and check out what you said. Thanks for listening, and we will be back to you real soon with more Sportsman Drag Racing Talk. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. If you know, then you know It's those long nights Early mornings Rolling down these old back roads Working all week Trying to turn this blue
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.